Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic is re-architecting retail by harnessing data at scale. So, you know, the consumer behavior that we are seeing today and the hyper-personalized approach to the service that they want and demand, that requires, uh, you know, the retailers should think differently. But then they also have issues with the bottom line because there's a whole lot more of e-commerce adoption and the supply chain complexity that we already are seeing you know, bring, building, bringing a lot of companies down because of the pandemic. That's where it started and it's not been solved yet. That is an interesting challenge. So now with that said, the retail organizations have to reimagine, and I'm sure they are. And they're also, perhaps they're trying to re-architect to continually improve their operations and changes coming from left and right and every other part. So how are they handling all of this, leveraging data, the currency of digital, what they call it, right? The data and that to data harnessed at scale. That's what we want to talk about here. So we have Ravi Balwada, Chief Technology Officer with Guitar Center. Hey, Ravi, how are you? Very well, Sanjog. Thank you. Great to have you. And we also have Alan Babe, who is the Chief Technology Officer with H&M Group. Hey, Alan, how's life? Great, thank you. It's, uh, I'm sitting here in Sweden and just enjoying it, uh, enjoying it today. Awesome. So, uh, Ravi, I'll start with you. So, let's talk about the different challenges that we've uh, seen and have, we know retail industry is facing, which are kind of debilitating many efforts you would have otherwise made and also creating a shrinkage in the bottom line. And with all of that happening, life to get... Uh, an understanding of if at all there is any silver lining because every kind of disruption, any kind of challenge, I mean, it's a philosophical way of looking at it, it could have some positivity attached to it. Absolutely. Um, not great point, Sanjog. Um, and while you, you know, I, I, I like that you mentioned that retail is transforming uh, and it's disrupting, but more, at least in specialty retail industries like us, um, I would not say that it's struggling or suffering, but we absolutely, there is a huge transformation happening in retail because customer expectations and how we engage with them as a brand, how we integrate our different services um, is, uh, you know, is, is really the big change. And that is, and is something that is going to drive increased loyalty and growth in the future. Um, how, uh, you know, or the, the areas where we're thinking about, you know, how we leverage data and where these changes are happening. Um, I'd say, you know, the top three for us, uh, number one is, of course, the uh, need to be able to provide a much more personalized experience for our customers. And something that's driving that is that there's been tremendous innovation in digital retail where you know, there's technologies that help with personalization, people are trying to segment to a market of one, et cetera. But now customers are expecting that they have a similar personalized experience in the store as well. As well. So there's desire to be able to integrate um, you know, data across your different channels. 
that's probably a big challenge and a big opportunity for us. And as retailers like us, we start thinking about stores as the um, center for engagement. Um, you know, uh, it becomes more important as to, you know, how do we make sure we, we come up with ways to be able to capture customer preferences, to provide personalization in the stores to a level that customers are accustomed to in uh, online. Second one, real quick, is certainly around the supply chain side, where we need to drive tremendous optimization uh, to be able to do better demand forecasting, to be more precise as we use our stores for things like micro-fulfillment centers. It really changes um, you know, how we look at our demand and how we where we place our inventory uh, to be able to do more rapid fulfillment, to be able to have the right product at the right time in the right place, which is no longer just a distribution centers, but uh, regardless of channel, you might want to fulfill from anywhere. So that's the second area for us. Uh, where there's a huge focus. And, uh, you know, third is uh, just around uh, building experiences where uh, we can gamify and make it a pleasure for customers and associates to be able to share information with us and to be able to gather information regardless of channel again in how we can serve our customers. So those are some of the top thing, top of mind items uh, for us to figure out how do we leverage data and digital experiences to provide a better experience for our customers, regardless of channel. How do we capture this data and how do we also leverage it to make sure that we have the right um, assortment in the right place, the right inventory, et cetera. So Alan, in your world, uh, different types of products. Yes, you are retail, different type of experiences, different type of mindset when a shopper shop. How is that? new more are different than what Ravi's uh, organization is facing and how they're trying to innovate? Well, you know, I, I think on a macro scale, we're all facing a lot of the same opportunities and it, it just just depends on how you take it on. We're, we're a little bit different. We're, you know, we're very much a global company and we operate in 70 countries. Um, and, and that in itself offers a whole different set of challenges when you're dealing with data, you're dealing with the uh, the privacy laws you're dealing with other things but but I think we're all facing very challenging economic times um, now the good news is that if I look back in history every time there's been an economic challenge whether it was the financial crises or whether it was other things that have occurred in the past 20 years or so that I've, that I've been around with this um, great innovation always comes out of it and it really will create all kinds of new businesses, new business models arrive. We saw that with COVID. There was a COVID changed the world. It had a lot of impacts, both positive and negative on, uh, on the retail environment, but we're seeing more and more now new innovative technologies coming out that we're gonna be able to take advantage of. I think in some ways, you know, COVID actually spun up or sped up, I should say, the, you know, the, the use of video. And of course the video, that means you have more opportunities for analytics. And it's it turned in it turned Facebook into Meta. May have just been a timing coincidence, but a lot of things have changed. So I think that when we have these world events, there is an awful lot of good things that happen because you recognize you can't keep operating business as normal. Now, saying that, data is is everything. And I think as we talk about supply chain, we really and I was really happy to hear Ravi talk about sort of what I call sort of the free flow of data, meaning that if you're using your, your stores as nodes, as stores as, as delivery centers, stores as adjunct warehouses, that's something that organizations wouldn't have done 10, 15, 20 years ago, especially those that were brought up in sort of a legacy environment. 
the ability to take that information and to do for planning, for us, assortment planning, to get to know our customers better, both online and in-store, to be able to come up with unique offers, to partner with other companies that we have not traditionally partnered with. It's all done through data. So for us, it's about freeing the data from the back-end systems. It's coming up with unique ways to use it. Uh, we've, we've piloted all kinds of things in different areas around the world. And in fact, in uh, very proud of what we did in Beverly Hills and in, in the U.S. just not too long ago. Uh, but it, it's opportunity and it's opportunity rich. And, and I think we're all looking to create that new experience, not just a, a shopping, but an, an a lifestyle experience that people want to be involved in. So, uh, Ravi, when we talk about the amount of data retail produces or the retail operation produces, most companies, at least we have seen across industries, including retail, they always say, I wish we had the wherewithal or uh, the foresight to see how much more data or what variety will come our way and be ready to you know, deal with it. What do you think is the level of maturity organizations have been able to develop or still have to develop when it comes to data management? Because if, if we are not ahead of this uh, flood, if you will, of the data that is coming our way, a tsunami is what I would use, we will be almost at a disadvantage in terms of exploiting it. So where, where do we stand? Just wear the hat of an analyst of sorts. I think um, there's two areas in my mind are where we need to do better in the data world. And it's not just at Guitar Center. I see this across many retailers. Um, number one is, you know, as, as retailers, we are no longer just focused on selling a product or fulfilling an order. Uh, we offer services. Um, we offer, in, in our case, for example, we offer rental repair um, uh, lessons and um, the opportunity to be able to laterally integrate the data from all these different services as well as product offerings. But that integration of the data across our different offerings and to be able to leverage that data to be able to do um, you know, cross recommendations. For example, you bought a certain instrument and as a result, we think that you would be a great candidate for um, uh, maybe lessons. You know, those are the types of things that there's a huge opportunity for us. And of course, as we offer more services, the amount of data that you're getting, because now there's different behaviors that you're engaging with. It's no longer just about what, what your purchase history was on product, but it's literally about how are you using our services, how are you practicing your lessons, et cetera. That's where things start to get really interesting, just at the point of where do customers engage with you um, or how do they engage with you? The second area, Sanjog, is um, around the uh, lateral integration of this data across all our different channels. We are all you know, becoming more and more omni-channel retailers, and we are looking to meet our customers in the channel of their choice, whether it's online or in-store. But what that does is now the expectations to be able to get those click streams or breadcrumbs of how customers are engaging with you in the store 
and to be able to get information and to be able to leverage that maybe for an online engagement, et cetera. I think those are huge opportunities as we you know, drive omni-channel marketing strategies, as we drive omni-channel support and services where you could start online, finish in store or vice versa. So you know, those are two big areas for us where um, you know, I think there's opportunity to integrate. And that today I'm just talking about integration just within the enterprise. But, you know, as um, Alan, you and I were discussing a little bit earlier, there's also the option to integrate across a variety of things, you know, and uh, to Alan's example, like, you know, could there be something in fashion data that could influence your music buying preferences? Or could there be something in automotive, uh, you know, engagement data on how you drive to maybe what, um, you know, what style you have or what musical music you like to listen to or whatever. So there could be, you know, additional integrations down the road. So, Alan, when you look at the, like the data volume and variety that uh, is thrown at your organization, given the very sheer, you know, scale at which you operate, what's uh, the holy grail with respect to data management that you dream of and how far are you from that ideal state? I mean, I, I think, you know, you have to look at it as, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, because of all of this, and in one of my online systems alone, I have over 45 terabytes of data. You know, I have multiple systems. We grew at over 400 stores a year for a number of years as we were expanding. Um, the complexity of, of what has occurred because of the rapid growth of expansion on a global basis makes it far from any ideal state. Because, you know, we have a business to run on a daily basis. And we also have to prepare for the future. So I, I think that the, the end of the day, that we are early on in the journey. We have a, a, a large uh, AI and ML team that is working with data. We are certainly creating business benefits in many of the things in, that, that we're doing. So we're getting the value out of it. But in order to truly catch up with what I'll call the real digital natives, the, the pure online retailers or those that are only involved in the selling and servicing of digital goods and don't deal in the physical world, there's a gap. And there's a gap for every single company that's starting from a legacy environment. You know, we have kicked off some major initiatives to be able to build for the new but retire the old, where we have challenges like everybody else does with data ownership. Who actually owns the data? How do we get to single sources of truth? especially when you have algorithms and things in the past that have been built on imperfect information that are now part of any company's way of forecasting and doing business. How do you adjust and actually introduce into machine learning the concept of, of imperfection as being critical to the success of your company? So uh, it, it's, it's, it's challenging for any company, but you have to take it on. And while you're doing it, you have to reimagine, not re-engineer, but really reimagine your business processes. Because until you step back and reimagine how you're going to work in the new world and what data attributes are important for you, you're never going to get anywhere. So a long journey, we're taking steps. We know what the destination is. It's just going to take some time to get there. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. Um, so Ravi, when we come back, you know, let's talk about the journey thus far. You know, you, you, I'm sure you've done things there are some lessons learned. And uh, there are some things which are left to be desired. 
love to learn wh where you are with this journey about you know getting the most value out of data and that to at scale and the other follow up question to that is like any other asset or like any other resource data uh, could have a lot of diminishing returns so how much data you're producing and the pace at which you try to harness it how far could you squeeze the juice out of this penny please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. So welcome back, uh, listeners. Uh, with the uh, efforts that we've had thus far, Ravi, uh, as I asked you before the break, what have been the results and how promising did they look? And the second part of that question was, with data, while a lot of data is coming your way and you can keep working on that, but how much can the existing data be harnessed uh, and how, how for how long and how profitably because there's a cost to doing so as well. So do you stay net positive? But if yes, then for how long? It's a great question. Um, you know, Sanjog, I would say that number one, we're just, I feel that we're just getting started on our journey. The um, steps or some of the bigger, uh, you know, activities that we have that allow us to, um, you know, evolve in the data space. Uh, in our case, number one was just uh, trying to digitize uh, several interactions that we have with our customers. To give you an example for a lessons business, we did not have a lot of data, uh, particularly when it came to things like practice. And um, But as we are building gamified experiences, we now have the ability to be able to actually, um, you know, not only know that you practiced or not, but we can literally, um, for you, listen to every note that you're playing. We can know whether it's the right note or incorrect note. And that's just one example. But all that data we are streaming into our data lake to be able to then distill from that and see if somebody's struggling in their lessons journey or to be able to look at the data and go if there's somebody who's got tremendous potential because they're a very fast learner, et cetera. So the amount of data that, but as we digitize different areas, we naturally then start to generate the jet stream of that digitization is the data that is now flowing into our data lake and our analytical systems. So as we digitize more, it certainly helps us to evolve and understand and get more data points. So that's number one. The second part of it is of course, the plumbing and the aggregation and bringing this data together and de dealing with the physics of how this data is uh, going to reside. 
in a format that it can be democratized and you know people have access to it, et cetera. And that's one area where fortunately, because of cloud technologies, because of data movement technologies, et cetera, that's uh, not too much of an impediment for us. And we are well on our way that anytime we digitize something, we are very confident that we are able to bring those signals into our analytical platforms. Um, the next opportunity for us, uh, even before I get into things like AI and ML, is to actually allow our enterprise users to be able to become better data explorers, to build that muscle in the company and a different culture where people are starting to move away from their more static reports into being able to engage with the data, to be to interact with the data, to be able to have visual interfaces with the data that allow you to take terabytes of data and be able to distill it into a visual interface. That's an area that probably is the biggest challenge that we are going through right now because it requires a big culture change and a different way in how your users are engaging and interacting with data. And then the fourth area for us is really, you know, saying, okay, well, how can AI and ML reduce the need for somebody to be looking for anomalies and looking for variances, et cetera, and to be able to go more predictive modeling around the data? Um, and that's an area that I feel that whenever we have the use cases, the challenge there is just envisioning what you want to do with the data. But the volume of data and what you have is not the challenge today. It's really either getting your users to figure out how to engage with it or building the right algorithms that will allow us to create deeper relationships with our customers, building the algorithms that will allow our students to be able to learn faster based on the data that we have in terms of how they're engaging, building the algorithms to determine what, anticipate what a customer may want, or to be able to anticipate the demand that we may have for something down the road. I think building those things, that's something that we still, or next best action and things like that. That's where we still need to do a lot. So that's kind of where we are in our journey with uh, data and where our focus is moving forward. So Alan, with that, uh, what, what Ravi gave some examples of how they've tried to talk about this and AI and ML, which is everybody wants to use it and perhaps they are using it. What have you seen on the ground when you've got so much data floating around and you even mentioned about your legacy tech stack, which would prevent you from doing the data engineering well, but then AI and ML is perhaps still within reach for you to be able to do some, uh, you know, pretty good value creation from it. What, what has been the experience thus far with you playing with a whole lot of data and trying to garner insights from it? So, you know, so we've, we've done a, an, an awful lot of things. I said, we have a, a fairly large um, a data science team, team of ML engineers, um, and we've tackled many things from, from assortment planning um, to, in, in one instance, we've uh, alluded to earlier, we've, we've lifted the data out of the backend systems and, and we now have an engine, I'll call it a brain, that does, uh, allows people in the store, our staff, uh, our employees, to have up to the second information about inventory that's in their store. So if somebody picks up a garment in the front of the store and takes it to a fitting room in the back of the store, we actually can see that garment moving. And we can, we can create brand new customer experiences or predict based on their purchase history or predict based on what they've picked up, what are the other items that would go best with what they have with them. Eventually that could take into account skin color, it could take into account other preferences. So we've already started doing that in many cases and can even tell them if it's not the right size, 
Do we have it in the store in the right size and the right color? Or can we get it to them within a few hours by shifting it from another store? Or can we shift it to their home? So we have a lot of analytics that we've been doing and that'll call sort of the supply chain customer engagement area. Uh, we certainly have been doing a lot of personalization in, in recent years as well. Uh, but in order to do that, we, you know, we, we have to do it right. Uh, we're also one of the leaders in what I call ethical AI and participate quite a bit and have a strong believer in that. But I think the challenge in, in all of this for any company, and, and, I, and I think we, we hear about this from our technology partners in many cases and some of our competitors is in the future, are we as our, our teams uh, that are using the information and the information will be algorithms will be developed on the edge by people in the field. It's not just going to be a data science group, but are we here to augment and, and help the machine learn and thereby basically deal with the exceptions or are we expecting the machine to deal with the exceptions and we still drive it? And I think that's a, a question that if you want to be a data-driven organization and if you want to be really a performance-based organization, you have to get comfortable with letting the machines make more and more of the decisions and recommendations and simply aug augmenting the machine's information with your human knowledge and things. If there's just too much information flowing this through the system too quickly. We produce over 3 billion articles a year. You can't keep it in your mind anymore. I just want to um, add on to something that uh, is a big priority for us as well, uh, hearing Alan uh, share what they're doing. Uh, one of the big areas of focus for us is to really, you know, with the data that we have, is to really try to bring the insights out into the front lines. And we are driving several programs, of course, getting started with just enabling our associates to be able to have mobile devices so they can access the insights and recommendations that we have from data to bringing CRM in the hands of our associates. Of course, a lightweight CRM that would work more in that in-theater situation. But then technologies like that then allow our associates to be able to get, like Alan shared, real-time recommendations. Um, real-time, um, you know, review of a customer's lifetime value or purchase history, et cetera, to be able to then uh, serve them in a more personal way. So leveraging data for for assisted selling and really trying to bring the insights that you have from this data. So it's not just about capturing the data in the front lines, but it's also now enabling the front line with a lot of data where our retail associates really start to become super associates with the um, information that they have to be able to serve a customer. And, and I think you're right, Robin. What, what's interesting is the customers actually are enjoying it more to have that have the, those conversations. They're 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 not uh, they're they're engaging more. The employees feel better. They feel more empowered. Um, it's really creating a. A, a real new experience for everybody in such a positive way. And we just have to find ways to make it available, to make it affordable, to be able to, to do this. But when you see the people interact, we, we had a, a professional shopper uh, come into one of the stores with one of his clients. And when he started engaging, his question was, when can I bring all the rest of my clients in at this other store and this other store? Because he says, I, I shop with people at stores all over the place. And uh, this is when we had the first test store up. And we, we just said, soon, it's coming. You know, it's coming. But boy, people are enjoying it. And that, that's the, the best thing about all of this. 
So, Ellen, uh, given what you just said about the fascinating experience and this professional staff are trying to bring, would you say, is that your hard ROI business case to keep investing? Because at some point, the business will always ask to say, okay, you're toying with it. You've got a bunch of people doing AI ML and you're trying to innovate. Yes, it's great to innovate something coming out of POC, you're putting it out there. But then at some point, it has to be operationalized. And you have to see what is the cost of running it, adopting it, and eventually get back from the red into the black and then go positive. How's that equation looking? And and not only just look at you did one instance because you're continually investing. So are you always investing ahead of you made money, making money from the investments you already make? I'm just almost trying to think about an H&M group's intrapreneurship or a startup of sorts, which is being looked at in isolation and see what you're doing there, is that making a buck for you? Well, I mean, everything has to have a return, you know, whether it's a return in financial return, a return in brand awareness and return in brand love, that everything you do has some type of return or purpose. And, and, and I think that, you know, coming out of another large uh, CPG firm that I worked for previously, you know, we, we went after media dollars, you know, and and we were able to actually bring media buying back in-house because we were able to prove that our algorithms were more efficient than the, than the media buying companies that we were using. You know, I, I think that we've been concentrating on areas that, that touch the customer and areas that, that work on supply chain. There are multiple areas that we can go into um, and other people already have. So a lot of this is learning from others and applying them in unique ways. Uh, as I said, we're a multinational 70 country company which also makes it a little bit more difficult and different because the, the use and the adaptation of technology is different around the world. Sometimes in the United States, we tend to look through one eye, one lens, if you may. And, and the reality is it's, it's different everywhere. The rules, the regulations, the, what people are comfortable with. So lots of different ways to measure the return on, on investment on this. But so far, I look at it as long as the brand leads and the brand owners, I think it's positive. Uh, we move forward. I'd say we're looking at it. It's almost like a pizza. We can provide the dough. We can provide the sauce. We can provide the you know we can provide the the ability to bake it. Where we have to partner real close with the the, the our brands and our and our our uh, marketing and other people is to put the toppings on, because they're the ones that know what the toppings are. We're just providing the secret sauce to make it taste good. So Ravi, using the same analogy, how much pizza is selling? You know, we certainly want to connect our, um, uh, you know, data initiatives to ROI. Um, but, um, you know, in some areas, and of course, you know, there's the most straightforward ones where, you know, if you personalize, is there a lift in sales, et cetera. It, um, you know, there's some other areas where, for example, lessons is a really exciting data um, initiative for us, because just imagine you're teaching a student and when they're practicing, you're there with them in a digital way. And then as you're listening, you're not only providing them feedback, but you're also understanding their learning styles and you're personalizing and adapting our offerings to their learning styles, et cetera. Now, something like that, the ROI is a little bit longer term because what the hope is there is that they build a deeper relationship with us as a brand, that they become more proficient musicians, which is really our mission. And um, that uh, they stay with us uh, longer, which obviously translates into uh, you know an increased ROI, increased retention, etc. So 
So those things. But at the same time, you know, just sometimes measuring the ROI, for example, hey, leveraging data to deepen your relationship with a customer, measuring the return on investment on that uh, can be something that's a little bit longer over time and is an interesting data problem itself to be able to attribute what you're doing with data to the return and the results that you're uh, achieving. Example of that could be, you know, in our world, let's say you had a conversation with a store associate, nothing transpired in terms of a transaction, and then you went and three three days later, you purchased something online. Now, how can I tie that to the conversation that you may have had? Because there's certainly a possibility that that conversation certainly inspired that customer to go make that purchase. But then when I do the attribution, how do I look at it to say, okay, what were they discussing in the store? Is that what the customer ended up buying? Where was the pivot? How many days after that conversation? What other engagements and interactions went into play? Was it a marketing email that added on? And how do I now tie the um, ROI or how do I connect the ROI to the investment that I've made? Whether it was, was it an investment in the, in-store mobile device that helped? Was it an investment in training of my associates? Was it an investment in personalization? Sometimes with these journeys being um, across channels, uh, it becomes um, you know, a much more interesting data problem in itself. So while, uh, and this uh, question I'll ask you, Alan, because both of you have similar thoughts that we have to keep doing this, we cannot just stop it. How are you, continually convincing or in what way are you showing results to the management so that they keep sponsoring this? Cause you still need a runway and yeah. given the shrinking margins at the retail business, they could say, yeah, you're doing all the cool stuff and I'm not, I'm sure they understand why you're doing it, but what's, what would keep you going and what would keep this in, investment and or related efforts going to the point where you start seeing the ship turning and actually showing. So you don't want to have them lose steam beforehand, right? And that's the biggest risk for any such transformational projects. How are you preventing that ship from stalling? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it is it's, it's an education program. You know, you, know you, 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 you educate, you're constantly educating. You break this down into bite-sized chunks with deliverables where people can see things. Once you get momentum going, other people want to jump in, which is great. And, 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 as, and you want other people to take credit for the results that are coming in, especially in the business. Because end of the day, if the business teams that own the P&L or the business teams that own the revenue targets don't see the value, you're not going to get anywhere. So I think a lot of it is you know, humility um, and be humble about this. Continually explain and explore new things, but don't invest too much ahead of the curve, but invest enough to get people hooked. Great answer. Let's take a quick break, listener. We'll be right back. And uh, Ravi, let's talk about the systems, processes, and tools. This is actually going to be a question for both of you. I'll start with you, Ravi, because there has to be some good foundation, Bob. You're trying a new journey. It's not that you're just starting today, but I'm sure you have to almost rethink your platform your way of handling even the business, the systems and tools and expectations that you're setting. Where are you in that journey? And of course, what you've done thus far, how, uh, what kind of challenges did you encounter? 
Please stay tuned. We're right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Ravi, systems, process, tools, culture, expectations, leadership, I can keep going, right? There are so many foundational elements for making things happen like this. What were your top challenges? For us, uh, the um, you know just just following the the journey of the data itself, um, I think for us the first opportunity was to make sure that we are able to digitize and capture uh, the data at the points where our customers are engaging with us. Um, the areas where they can uh, where that becomes a pretty significant challenge is in the physical engagements. So to be able to bring in digital technologies and digital applications um, certainly, you know, then adds to what data you can get and how you can, you know, now have more information that's going to be useful. So that's just at the source of the mouth of the funnel, if you will, in terms of being able to make sure that you get more and more information on how your customers are engaging with us. That's one area. And that's just in the context of using data to serve our customers, be it in store or be it um, online or through a contact center. The, um, uh, you know, now as we have digitized more and more touch points and we know we have a lot of data, um, the, um, you know, the, the, the basic plumbing in terms of like, okay, how do I, now that I've digitized thing, how do I move data into data lakes? How do I get people to agree to not have individual silos of data to be able to bring it all together to make sure that it's clean, et cetera. That's of course, you know, just part of the natural process of, you know, what you do with the data, a relatively simpler problem to solve compared to, you know, building digital interfaces and digital experiences wherever possible. So that was certainly the bigger one for us. Um, you know, the next challenge with any organization, I'd say, that's dealing with data is, you know, we certainly index heavy on data engineering and being able to bring in the data. We can index heavy sometimes on building an AI and an ML team. But actually, to be able to have the people that are experts in the business and within technology organizations, building expertise in the different domains, whether it's supply chain or customer service or marketing, so that we are able to actually envision and develop the use cases in terms of how we are gonna leverage data and having the right ideas. That's probably the bigger challenge that we have. And then the next challenge is really a cultural one where how do you get people accustomed, like I said earlier, not only in terms of getting away from moving to, you know, from, away from static reports to more an, engaging interactive analytics, but it's also, you know, what's the playbook in a store? 
when an associate now has so much more information and is greeting the customer in a whole different way, where they're trying to learn about the customer and look them up, as opposed to saying, how can I, uh, how can I very quickly just process your, uh, process your purchase in my POS, right? So the cultural element uh, and uh, the change management that is involved with getting people to actually embrace data, to buy into the data strategy, and getting early wins where people see, like Alan said, they see the wins and they start to sign up for it. That's certainly a very big part uh, and very important part of um, something that you know us as leaders have to be thinking about as we try to drive uh, more and more data adoption and we start to become more data-driven enterprise. Right? So that's um, certainly a big piece. Now, in terms of our data journey, there's also this next frontier that we haven't even tackled, but we think often about how do I get a move on from not just providing insights uh, to in people, but how do I now start to build automation and orchestration around my data? Because that is really the next uh, next thing is to when you see a certain anomaly or we see a certain detect a certain behavior in the data, how can you now automate the actions that are associated with it? just like a self-driving car? to be able to build more and more of an autonomous enterprise that is now being steered and is automatically being steered based on the data that's coming in. So that's something that we're still uh, probably a little ways out on. So Alan, uh, based on Ravi's response, he had his ecosystem where, you know, he's worked on system process tools. Of course, the whole organization rallied up. Now, in your case, you got multiple, uh, you know, locations. I'm sure a larger organization, and it's an 800-pound gorilla, which you need to take a turn. How does that scale help you? Becomes a catalyst, or how does it pose a challenge in becoming that ideal foundation or set of foundations which will allow you to, you know, harness data at scale? Well, you know, I, I think it's a good question. I think, you know, I, I've worked for a lot of Fortune 100 companies uh, as, as well, and I'm fortunate to be with, with a, as you said, a global a global uh, juggernaut here in many ways. Um, I, I think that scale works for you and it works against you, uh, and, and, and it works at every company. Uh, because if you have a large company that's been successful, you have a lot of ingrained processes and people that don't want to change. And the biggest challenge we all have is change and growth and, and or the change becomes incremental. I, I think that data has proven to be of such value when used properly that it's one of these changes that is not linear and it, it has the ability to dramatically jumpstart organizations. And of course, organizations are not meant to, are not designed for these big leaps on a continual basis because we have to have predictability for financial returns. We have to have predictability in our inventory. And that means by taking many long, these large leaps, you're introducing risks. So the question really is, is what's the risk tolerance that a company has? In our case, we run certain things, what I'll call in-band, which is part of our process where we're standardizing the data, the attributes, the elements, the definitions. And those things tend to go a little bit slower because we're trying to run it in a way that will cover 70 countries of the world in every one of our, every place that we operate. In other cases, we need to be able to launch, learn, pivot, 
much like many startups, you may want to call it entrepreneurialism in many cases. And that we have to do what I call out of band. And what's interesting is the dynamics of those that work out of band and, in, in, and those that work in band. In many cases, there's conflict because people are jumping ahead two, three, four uh, times ahead of where the other people are in, in the process. But it's not because the other people don't want to get there. It's because the other people have other responsibilities of keeping the business running and making sure that the data is used in certain ways. What we see is that when we can bring these two together after we've done the pilots, after we've done the MVPs, and we can bring these two together and that there's success and the people on the two teams actually can merge, then we can actually take advantage of the synergies and take advantage of the scale of the company. And that's where the real benefits accrue is once we get to scale. The good news is technology is such today that we were able to launch one initiative in less than 60 days, the one that I talked about by getting real-time data visibility and being able to create customer experiences by integrating technology for three or four small technology companies, as opposed to these large mega projects that used to take place over years. One of the first things that we did two years ago when I joined is we decided to move away from a data lake and go directly to data mesh. And that is proving over and over again to give us more flexibility because we're distributing things we're being able to cut things into smaller pieces, but still get the power of it all together. So scale can work with you because I could take the risk of going to data mesh. It can work against you because it slows you down to make sure you do things right. But if you can find that nice balance, you can certainly accelerate at faster paces than anybody ever believes you could in the past. So this is one last question I'll ask you, Alan, first. Um, since uh, you're dealing with large organization and you got so many different uh, different groups that you may be dealing with, what have you seen working for you uh, with respect to the leadership style and collaboration style for you to get the most out of this effort of harnessing data at scale? Well, you know, I think the, the people at H and M love customers. They love the subject matter fashion, and they love the company. And, and you can see that by the relatively low attrition rates over the years. You can see that by the amount of seniority that we have in the organization. And you can see that just in, in the willingness for people to go the extra mile to get things done. So, so having a very strong culture that, that unites people together is, is very positive. Now, at the same time, it adds challenges because the question is, why do we need to change? And, and if you're, you've grown up in an industry of fashion, which is very creative, very expressive, it's hard for some people to understand that a machine can actually add a lot of value or maybe even replace some of the value that you've gotten by doing other things by hand. So I think those are, those are the challenges. But I, I believe that the bigger challenge is as you transform a company and you really start talking about business model transformations and very, very significant changes in supply chain from, from uh, months down to weeks or from uh, a product offering that was made for the mass market as you start getting into personalization. We have custom-made genes for one. You can get measured and have genes made for you. That's different in a different mindset and how you use technology than when you were going to the store traditionally or buy online 
at three different ones, the size you, you wear, the size you really want to wear, and then the size that you hope you don't wear, and you just have them sent to you so you can try one on and send two back. But it's just a completely different model here, and, and change is, the, is difficult, but those that embrace it um, really get excited about it, especially how they use data, and as it moves more and more into the field, the people in the field on the front lines, our colleagues that are dealing with our customers every day, I'll tell you, when you go into a store and they smile and they say, thank you, you've made my life easier, then you know you're winning. Ravi, your case, unique customer, not very easy to understand being musicians and different type of uh, retail uh, outfit that you have. What have you seen in comparison or in contrast to what Alan has been able to see as the, re, uh, as the way to get the most out of this whole initiative about harnessing data at scale when it comes to leadership and collaboration? Um, you know, of course, uh, an interesting demographic that we have because we certainly, you know, for us, we probably have the world's largest collection of very passionate musicians that work for us that are out there serving musicians. Um the they but at the same time they have been accustomed to particularly in our stores they've been accustomed to serving customers in a particular way um you know for quite some time so the change management topic and helping them to actually understand how data can um you know help them and you know pulling out examples we try to emulate with data what our top performers are doing in sales and helping each, each associate build for example their digital black book in terms of with reminders on who to who to contact, who to follow up with, smart triggers leveraging data that inform our associates or remind our associates on um, you know when um, uh, something is delivered at the customer's doorstep and to be able to call them and share the excitement of um, unboxing something that they've been eagerly waiting for. So. Um, you know, while those are really interesting and, you know, uh, uh, interesting ideas and valuable, but actually changing the behavior and how you now are no longer just processing orders in a store, that takes a little bit longer. In our digital challenge, channels, it's a lot easier for us because, you know, with the e-commerce side, of course, you know, you know, you want to bring in as much data as possible to create hyper-personalization. And with our digital marketing channels, again, it's a little bit easier because we know that there's so much that we need to be doing to market to a segment of one. Um, but um, I think as you start to get to the front lines um, and uh, where there's more people engage, involved that are engaging the customers, getting them to learn to work with data and work with the insights that come out of the data. Uh, that's where we probably face our challenge. But Sanjog, I just want to make sure I'm answering your question or you know, uh, gu guide me a little bit on. Uh, so the leadership style, right? So yeah. what, what you're doing is you're leading from the top and you're also leading sideways and leading upwards, right? So, so when you are looking at you in, in the position that you are, your line of business leaders in IT, they have to exude some certain type of vibe, certain leadership style, certain way of collaborating and messaging. All of yeah. that collectively will bring or create a foundation so that you can truly harness data at scale besides slapping AI and ML on it, right? So there's more yeah. to it than technology. Yeah, no, I get it now. So yeah, that that is certainly a very important topic for us and uh, where how technology works with the different functions uh, you know, has certainly changed a lot. 
Now, in our case, fortunately, you know, we have people that have had great intuition. They know the business, they know their functions, regardless of whether merchandisers, whether they're retail in the, in the front lines. Uh, but it's the role of technology really over here, where technology is helping the business envision what is possible with the data. So we are starting to take more and more of a leadership role in helping the business to understand. And of course, that happens with trust and deep partnerships and domain expertise in the functions that you're serving. But, uh, you know, I'm seeing more and more that the technology function is having to take, um, you know, the, the first step in helping people envision what is possible with data. And then a, role, a, function, a capability that we are, you know, jointly building within the organization is this evangelist or digital evangelist role. Because, you know, when you have 12,000 or 15,000 associates out there, that need to get excited about data. And then, you know, you it's not just enough to just put out new and new applications every day with training. You need to get them jazzed about it. You need to help them understand how it's going to help them to serve more customers, how it's, we are a commission-driven environment, how it's going to enable them to actually uh, make more money and actually make us an employer of choice because we provide our associates the best data and tools to be able to be successful in what they do. So I think driving those messages, helping our teams understand that um, we, uh, you know, with data and technology, uh, you know, how exactly are we making their lives better? That's a big part of it. And, you know, it's also taking out the fear, right? You know, we used to have conversations about like, oh, is e-commerce going to cannibalize the store experience, et cetera. But as people see modern advanced technology coming into the stores, uh, which is something, you know, in my previous roles, I felt like most of the investment went into digital experiences and not enough into stores because people always assume that the store is, you know, it it's, does what it does and doesn't need to be transformed. But as we now start to bring in digital experiences in the stores, as we start bringing in more technology and modernize our store experiences, um, that that uh, is uh, you know creating a new dynamic in um, how we get our associates excited, how we work as a leadership team in introducing data programs, and um, how we just generally create a buzz within the company on um, how we modernize an area, particularly in physical retail, that has been underserved. Uh, till a few years ago. Once again, thank you so much, uh, Ravi and Alan, for sharing your insights about how organizations can rethink, look within, and re-architect retail by harnessing data at scale. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, please connect with us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN, your hosts, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.